0: of the Roden Fellows, hand-picked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows.
2: I'm Isaiah Smalls, and I attend Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: I'm Simone Benton, I go to Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland.
2: And I'm
3: Donovan Dooley, and I attend North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm coming to you from sunny Las Vegas, Nevada, recovering nicely from Minnesota's freezing temperatures. Uh, We're going to get back to the fellows in a minute. Uh, We have a great show for you today. Uh, The highly anticipated Black Panther film is out in theaters, and actor Winston Duke is going to tell us what it's like to play the villain in the movie, among other things. And then critically acclaimed director Stanley Nelson is going to tell us about one of his recent projects, Tell Them We Are Rising, about the evolution of historically black colleges and universities in the United States. But first, let's take a real quick look back at uh, the week that was in sports. The Winter Olympics are underway. I'm sure everybody is riveted. Uh, They're underway in the South Korean resort town of Pyeongchang. Preliminary competitions in ice hockey, figure skating, Alpine and all the other sports that black folks dominate have already happened. Uh, ESPN is going to be covering every event over the next few weeks and The Undefeated is going to be running a story about Debbie Thomas, who's the first black athlete to earn a medal in a uh, Winter Olympics. So tweet us at The Undefeated and let us know what sports you're watching. Uh, the second biggest news of the week, some could, some could argue the first is the shakeup. On the Cleveland Cavaliers, Dwayne Wade was traded back to Miami. Isaiah shipped out west to the Lakers, and in return, uh, the Cavaliers getting Larry Nance Jr., Rodney Hood, and George Hill. I think this is great for Cleveland. Le- 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 LeBron was quoted as saying that it should be fun to play with a new with new teammates. Uh, real quick, is, is this good or bad?
3: They still are making the I- finals, so it's
1: over. <laughs> I'm hopeful. I'm glad Dwayne Wade's going back home. Um, but I also, you know, LeBron reminds me of Isaiah. Like, if, <laughs> not way No, but it's it. <laughs> no, but it, I think I think it's gonna be interesting to watch because I I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what to expect. But I, I'm hopeful. But I'm glad that Dwayne Wade's going back to Miami. Yeah, Donovan.
3: Yeah, they, they're they still not making the finals, so it's really, it's kind of a lateral move to me. I mean, they get they they did get very defensively, but to try to bring the whole group together in, say, what, a month or so to try to get ready for playoff contention is not, nah, they're still not going to make it. I still got Boston going to the finals um, over them, but now, it is pretty interesting to see what LeBron's going to do in free agency now since they did make these new moves because oh, I think he's both. out there personally.
2: Yeah, uh, Donovan brings up a good point. I basically think that these trades sealed the deal on LeBron leaving uh, Cleveland. So it's just now a matter of where, because these, although they got younger and more athletic, I don't know if it'll be enough because they definitely could uh, not improve on the defensive end, uh, in my opinion, because they got rid of Jay Crowder.
0: Well, we've got plenty of time to discuss that. Um, but lastly, Seahawks quarterback and former Super Bowl champion Russell Wilson is headed to New York. That's right. Wilson is set to join the New York Yankees in the upcoming Major League Baseball season. Now, this is going to come as a surprise only if you don't follow Wilson. Uh, In 2010, he was actually drafted in the fourth round uh, by the Colorado Rockies, though he just played a couple months of minor league baseball. Um, Anyway, it's great to have options. That should be a lesson to you fellows. Always have options. Switching gears from Mortal Sports, we're going to focus on what superheroes and villains can do in the new Marvel action-packed film, Black Panther, which details the way King T'Challa of Wakanda must defend his kingdom when enemies try to take down his kingdom. Here's a clip from the trailer.
4: The Black Panther character came about in the 60s, around the time of the Civil Rights Movement. How daring it was for Stan Lee and Jack Kirby to introduce an African character, which at the time had never been done before. He was also strong enough, fast enough,
5: to do some of the things that
0: your child going to do in this film.
5: He's a
4: superhero, but he's also the world
0: leader. That's a responsibility that other superheroes don't commonly have. The world is changing. So, so that clip gives you a sense of, of what it's all about. Uh, one of the actors in this incredible film, uh, Winston Duke, is here with us to tell us more. He plays the villain in Baku. Prior to, to this role, Winston has made appearances on a lot of popular television shows, including Modern Family, Law and Order, SVU, and Purse of Interest. And he's gotten to work with Lupita and Nyong'o more than once. Um, wow. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Hey, hey, Winston, welcome to the show.
5: Hey, guys, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Love being on the unde- undefeated.
0: Yeah, no, hey, thank you so much, man. So much, uh, so much uh, buzz around this film. Uh, I mean, we we want to bombard you with um, uh, a lot of questions. What was it like working for Lapita?
5: Ah, uh, it was a really distinct pleasure. We actually went to school together, so we went to Yale School of Drama. And she was one year ahead of me. She graduated in 2012. I graduated in 2013. And it was quite a surreal experience because we were close friends at school and we were also part of a group called Folks at the Mm. Yale School of Drama. And I remember going to the first Avengers with Lupita and we were still young. Artist dreamers going do you think we'll ever be in a movie like this one day do you think we'll ever be able to be in something so large and this actually was our first you know superhero flick together well each actually so this is her first superhero flick and my first film ever actually so it's mm. quite surreal and serendipitous you know what i mean
0: yeah, well, congratulations, Speaking of the Yale School of Drama, the managing editor of uh, The Undefeated, uh, Raina Kelly, I think, also uh, was a drama major at Yale. So, you know, it's kind of... Oh, kinda,
5: wonderful. Yeah, Yale Mafia, Yale Mafia, that's what it is. That's, what they call it. that's right, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> quite... Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a legendary school.
5: Um, yeah,
2: yeah. So, uh, it's no secret that this film has really captured the attention, you know, of the world. But what is it like to participate in a film that has really evoked a sense of pride uh, out of all people of color?
5: Well, you know, I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. And it means a lot coming from a community that's not in proximity to Hollywood. So our stories are generally untold. Our stories aren't interrogated. Our realities aren't interrogated on a large scale. So just to be part of something that I feel like could open doors for other people and other people that are part of the diaspora to have their stories told and counted and know that it could actually be achieved on a large budget and also be profitable. That's really special.
1: Uh, this is Simone. So, uh, what inspired you to get into acting, um, to begin with? Like what, what was your first movie or show that really got you inspired and say, Hey, I want to do that.
5: <laughs> Funny enough, a little counterintuitive is, uh, Frasier back in the day. Do you remember the <laughs> Frasier show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, cause I was a little bit of a latchkey kid when I, when we first moved here. So, I'd watch a lot of TV. I'd read a lot of books. I read a lot of comics, actually. I would watch a lot of TV, and there was one episode of Frasier where this Shakespearean actor Derek Jacobi did a really bad Hamlet. And I don't know what it was about that episode. It just stuck with me, and I'd run around the house like doing the 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 little ending monologues. I die, Horatio. I die. <gasps> <sighs> like, you know, I just did that over and over and I don't know what it was that appealed to me, um, about it, but I kept going and it was, that was the first time I said, I think I want to tell stories. I think I want to be involved in, in telling stories and being a part of TV and doing this. So that was like the first foray and I come from a really, story-oriented culture. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Caribbean people, but everything's this big story, you know? Everything, like, going, just going to the ice cream shop could turn into this epic adventure, you know? It's like, I met this man, and, you know, he didn't give me one scoop, you know? He didn't give me two scoops. This man gave me three scoops of Rocky Road. uh, uh, So... You know what I mean, so like everything turns into this epic adventure with uh with a a beginning, middle, and an end, and you know I come from that culture and I think a lot of us you know ethnically all also come from that culture where like everything becomes this huge narrative that that can be acted out, you know
1: when you studied your character like what what was it like playing the villain?
5: Well, um,
0: being the bad guy,
2: yeah.
5: you know, I never look at any, and I've had the pleasure of playing a lot of complicated characters in my career so far who could be construed as villains, but I've never played a villain. You know what I mean? I've never played like a bad guy. I've just played a guy who sees the world differently and will do anything for those ideals that he has has deep integrity but is defined by him. It's not defined by other people. So that's how I approached it, is that at any given moment, if given the opportunity, the Black Panther could be M'Baku, you know? Oh. Uh The Black Panther it could be called M'Baku in Wakanda. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so I never try to ever play a bad guy I always try to find the complexities within the person and try to bring those out and what's wonderful about the approach that was taken by you know Joe Robert Cole and Ryan Coogler and Nate Moore is that they really elevated the character from a bit of obscurity where he was just the leader of this small uh guerrilla cult right And they've elevated him to now be the leader of an entire tribe, one of the main tribes of Wakanda. And by doing so, they've put the entire welfare of his people on his shoulders. So he's no longer acting from a place of ego. He's now acting from a place of deep integrity and having a lot of responsibility. So he has to really take care of his people. So... It really changed how, you know, he's interpreted and how he's played by me, I feel, especially from the comic books in the past.
1: Were you able to pull from anything um, within that's already, you know, engraved in your own personality? Were you able to pull from the You know, I know you say you divorced yourself from yourself, but were you still able to take something from, you know, your experience experiences and, you know, use with that character?
5: Of course. Well, you know, there there's a lot of different things. So personally, you know, that feeling of sometimes being an outsider was within a larger society that you call home. So that's one thing that I was definitely able to draw on because the Jabari and M'Baku are part of Wakanda, but they're not part of Wakanda proper. They live on the outskirts. They live in the mountains. And they've really pulled themselves away from the main society. And that's really deeply because, one, they pray to a different god. They pray to the gorilla god Hanuman. And the rest of Wakanda pray to Bast, the panther goddess. And they also don't believe in placing all importance on this rare material vibranium for the betterment of the country in every single way you know socially economically politically they don't believe that we should place all that importance on one unstable volatile material you know what i mean and we're losing sight of ourselves so they've become these traditionalists so that feeling of being an outsider within the place that you call home i was you know I was able to draw on my own experiences of being an immigrant in this country and still calling the United States home, but still feeling like I'm not of here. You know, I'm not from here. Um, and then going back to the Caribbean uh, at times and feeling like I've been away so long that I'm not really Trinidad and Tobagonian anymore, but I'm of this space. And I feel like I owe a, a sense of allegiance to this space, and how do I do that? How do I be a citizen of both you know the United States and a citizen to my past and what what responsibility do do I owe to my past and in preparing me to move forward into my life so that was pretty i wouldn't say easy, but it was something that I could latch on to to feel uh really grounded in that role um
3: Hey Winston uh this is Donovan. Um, you explained a little bit about the film and you're just your uh, what you said there. I just have a quick question for you um we've seen different black superheroes, especially on mm-hmm. t v with Black lightning mm-hmm. Luke Cage. Um, mm-hmm. What do you feel makes Black Panther different from the rest of those? uh well,
5: you have an African superhero and you have an African superhero that is living. Outside the constraints of a lot of the, the isms that a lot of superheroes that are, you know, of an American background come from. Um, so you get to really there, the sense of escapism is totally different. You know, um, you can really imagine what the world of Wakanda would be like if a place was never conquered by Islam. Catholicism um, there's no colonialism that was you know influenced their their story white supremacy wasn't part of their narrative and their creation um, so their sense of ownership to where they live and how they view themselves and internalized inferiority is just not present and they have a lot of of agency within their world. So a character coming from that world and having a deeply African narrative that they can control to some deep extent is totally different than Luke Cage, who is fighting oppression and internalized oppression and was created as a statement about black exploitation, you know, and black exploitation characters. Black Panther isn't that while a lot of the other characters that uh, are American born in their narratives are fighting that they're fighting internalized inferiority they're fighting you know white supremacy within themselves and Black Panther isn't that. Um, and in a really cool way I just I just love that it it ends up kind of being a story that, when you watch the movie, you can say that this is a Wakandan story that exists in the Marvel Universe. It's not just a Marvel film, but it's a Wakandan story that exists in the Marvel Universe that interrogates a lot of, uh, poignant, uh, timely issues that we're, we're facing. You know what I
3: mean?
2: So at this point, uh, I'm sure that you've heard, uh, that the film got its first bad review, which stated something along the lines of that, uh, Black Panther didn't beat up enough bad guys. After seeing the film Wednesday, I thought that was totally ludicrous and off-base, but uh what did you think? I mean, there's even been
5: a lot of uh talks that people were going to try to sabotage the, that rating, so yep. I didn't really yeah, take that, that into deep consideration, or I didn't take that to heart. Um, and it's a film. It's out there for your consumption, so if people have bad reviews for it let him go ahead and have bad reviews for it we made something and it's out there and it's made to be consumed and talked about and to some degree judged so it's only doing what it's supposed to
0: right hey Winston um just so before we wrap it up again man thank you so much for uh for making time for us. this has really been been great and uh, I hope you'll come back after the movie comes out
5: I would love to we're all the undefeated over here, man. We're good.
0: That's right, and and you the, the film is undefeated.
5: <laughs> Say it again. Say it again.
0: <laughs> the film is undefeated. Black Panther is undefeated. Huey Newton. Huey Newton lives. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, man. But listen, let me ask you. So, what I'm always curious, and you know, I work with young people and all that, and and even with the the fellows here, uh, you know, we always talk about. How you get from point A to point Z in your life. And I'm just wondering, um, if you could, you look at your career going from, um, uh, Trinidad Tobago to, uh, I think you went to the University of Buffalo, then Yale for, for grad school. Um, but just, did you think that you would be at this point of your life? I mean, did you ever sort of envision this, this kind of career? I mean, you know, you have millions of actors who just, you know, you never even hear from them. But, Did you think in your career that you would get to this point of visibility and accomplishment?
5: I feel like I did, and I've always dreamed of it. I can't say I could have predicted the nuances of the career and how it would come about, but I've always dreamed and dreamed large. And I feel my family, that's one thing that that they imparted on me in just even why we moved to this country, it was a big dream. It was a big dream that we could have all our dreams and and accomplish whatever we put our mind to, Um, but knowing that it takes a lot of small moving parts to do that. And what's helped me to do that has been to identify what those moving parts would be and then go after those and let them build to create whatever my reality is and will be, you know? Um, and another thing that helped me along the way is really trying to detail for myself a personal mission in life, a personal mission that can help me always, you know, anchor myself and come back to knowing why I'm doing what I'm doing and am I actually doing the right thing because does it fit into the mission uh for my life, you mm. know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, kind of like, like the Black Panther. <laughs> hey, nice. Hey, it is uh, thank thank you listen again so thank much. I, I can't thank you. Thank, uh, you, thank you guys you. so much.
1: Thank you so much. Being
0: here. Yeah. Uh we we're going to we're going we're gonna to take a short break. And uh when we come back, we're going to speak with the director uh uh of tell them we are rising uh Stanley Nelson. Uh his film Chronicles the Evolution of Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Uh state to Hey, uh Winston, how close were you to going to an HBCU?
5: <laughs> Pretty close.
0: Yeah? Wh- which one? Morgan?
5: Spellman? Makes sense? Morehouse? <laughs>
0: hey, anyway, hey, Weston, thank you so much. And, and folks, we'll, we'll, we'll be right back with Stanley Nelson. you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm on the phone with my co-host, Isaiah
2: Smalls. What's going on, y'all?
0: Simone Benson. Hello. And Donovan Dooley.
2: Hey, what's good, guys?
0: Yeah. We're going to switch gears from films about fictional superheroes to films about real life heroes in my book. uh, Stanley Nelson's latest film is Tell Them We Are Rising. Details the way HBCUs were established, how they educated generations of black Americans, and the challenges they face in ostensibly integrated America. We're, 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 We're very fortunate to have Stanley Nelson joining us from the New York studio. Uh, This is only Stanley's uh, latest work. He's won three Emmy Awards for his filmmaking, and he was actually the mastermind behind several documentaries, including The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution, Freedom Riders, and The Black Press, Soldiers Without Swords. I mean, those are all just extraordinary. Anyway, hey, Stanley, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great. Hey Sam, before we get started, we just had uh on um one of the stars of uh of Black Panthers a movie and I was wondering what did you think? I you know, when I first heard the movie was you know coming out, I said, Oh wow Disney's gonna invest in like, yo, know, the Black Panthers. We're gonna have Eldridge Cleaver and, uh, you know, Huey Newton and we're gonna have the, the shootout in Oakland. You know, then I saw one of the clips. I said, oh, okay, it's fiction. Uh, what, what, I'm just curious, man. What, what, because you, you did your documentary on the Black Panthers. What did you think when you first heard that a movie called Black Panthers was coming out?
4: well a couple of things occurred to me you know I mean one to be honest you know we're we're trying to ride on their coattails so we're sending out tweets <laughs> and, and emails <laughs> saying you know buy the original Black Panther the Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution which is on Netflix I'll, I'll, you know that's what we're doing but you know I mean I, in some ways you know I think it's a good thing you know um, if the film is good and if it doesn't kind of uh, you know um, make the Black Panther Panthers look bad. You know, um, I think it's, it's it's amazing that they they didn't rename it, you know, the Black Tiger or something <laughs> right. like that, you know, so that the fact that they could go with that name, um, I think is interesting. I think for African-Americans, you know, it, it, it sparks something when you hear it. You know, you, you know, you're interested. We're, we're all interested in the Black Panthers. Um, and I think, you know, at this point for white folks, most white folks, they're kind of Black Panther neutral. Um, so um I think it's a good thing.
1: Well, do you do you think uh this is Simone from Morgan State? Um, so When we were talking about earlier actually we had a, a conversation outside of the um of the podcast, but we were talking about the Black Panther, the original one for the nineteen sixty. So like do you think did you think of the Black Panther character also when it you know, when you heard about it, or did you you know put up that correlation?
4: Um, you know, when I first heard it, heard about it, I I thought about the uh, you know, Huey Newton and Eldridge Cleaver and and and, and the bunch, you know. Um, but you know, the, the the announcement came out while we were making the film, so you know, there was a a little bit of confusion, you know, people, you know, about what people were talking about. You know, people would call up and say, "Oh, I hear you're working on this Black Panther film," you know. Um you know is it Mar- Marvel or is it DC and we'd say it's neither one of them you know it's real life so um you know I, I, it's uh it, it's it's been it's been interesting I mean I, I think I think it's amazing the the amount of traction that this film has gotten and the kind of excitement that that surrounds this film that it's it's almost like you know it's something that that uh, African-American people, um, you know, needed and didn't know they needed because everybody seems to be really excited about this film. You know, I want to see it.
2: (laughs) Hi, Mr. Nelson. This is uh, Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse. Um, After not attending HBCU, what motivated you to create uh, this film that highlights their importance? Uh,
4: um, uh, You know, a couple of things, I think. Uh, Now we're talking about – Tell them we are rising,
2: yes,
4: right? Yes, sir, yes sir. Okay, sorry. I've I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing it. But um so I mean I, there are a couple of things. One, you know, the easy answer is that my parents went to HBCUs, my mother went to Talladega, my father went to Howard um in the nineteen thirties and that changed their lives and you know, changed my life. Um so that that's one reason. You know, two I think that that there've been just a few institutions that we've had as African-Americans that have sustained us, you know, um, and one of them is uh, uh, black colleges and universities. And so I thought that was a, a story. Um, and I thought it was a story that nobody else was kind of lining up to tell you know, that, that so many times people think of it as, you know, the Morgan State story or the Howard story or the Fisk story or the Spellman story. But nobody was kind of looking at it as, you know, this is really an institution and each one of their, there, there is a, um, a united piece, uh, which is each one of the, their history. Um, and there's a way to tell that story. So that's what I was looking for.
1: Uh, what kind of reporting did you go, did you do um, when you were developing the story? And, you know, how did you choose the, what particular uh, institutions you wanted to focus on? Because there was over 100 HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the most
4: difficult things about making this film was that there's no um, like central text. You know, there's no book. There's no like the book on black colleges. Um, I did a film a few years back called Freedom Riders, and you know, it was based on this one book. Now the book is like 800 pages long, but it's like the definitive book on the Freedom Rides. And then, you know, we could read some other books to uh, supplement that. But w- with doing the film on black colleges, you know, we had to try to, you know, find everything that we could. And, and a lot of it, is, you know, are are things about, you know, individual institutions or the fraternities and sororities, or, you know, um, there's a famous book called uh, The Education of the Negro, 1865 to 1915, you know, so there there's different books that we had to piece together. Um, and then, you know, we knew that we wanted to tell stories. And that, um, that that's what film does best. So we started looking for stories, um, over this 150 year history that, that, um, kind of tell, uh, that, that put together tell this tale. Um, you know, that's the way we thought of it more than we thought about, okay, we want to go to this institution, we want to go to that institution. But what we did do was once we had a story, so we have a story, you know, at Fisk, we tried to avoid having another story at Fisk. It seemed like with a hundred plus institutions, uh it didn't make sense to go to, you know, uh, you know, Fisk, Howard, wherever, Morehouse, Morgan, any place, you know, more than once.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Stanley, what's, what's been the, uh I think this is going to be airing when is airing next week I believe? It
4: airs February nineteenth on PBS all over the country, everywhere. Check your local listings. But February nineteenth on a on a show called Independent Lens.
0: <laughs> it's been uh, you've done a lot of little screenings and you've talked to people. Uh two point what's been the reaction uh you know after these screenings based on and, and what sort of did you want the reaction to be? But what's been the reaction uh as you've done the screenings around the country?
4: Um, well, the reaction has just been overwhelming. You know, um, we screened, uh, last Sunday, you know, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we screened, uh, a Sunday afternoon at the Apollo. Uh, we had over a thousand people at the screening.
1: Wow. Well, and then was there any, uh, so when you like actually, uh, was in the process of making the film, um, what was the most challenging aspect of making the film?
4: I think, you know, the most challenging aspect was, was figuring out which stories to tell, um, and how to tell them and, and eliminating others. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that you could, you could make, you know, 40 different films about, uh, black colleges and they, they, they'd all be very different. Um, so for us, part of it was figuring out which stories to tell, figuring out how to tell them you know um getting the material we we worked with uh, HBCUs to find you know pictures and footage and people to interview um so you know and then make putting it together and making it a story you know we did the film on on the Black Panthers uh a couple of years ago you know and the Black Panthers you know in our film we cover from 1966 to 1972 you know we cover 6 years and in that six years, certain things happen. And they have to happen. You know, the Panthers have to form. They take over the, uh, state house in Sacramento. You know, um, Huey gets shot. Uh, little Bobby Hutton gets killed. Eldridge Cleaver joins. You know, these things are, are part of the story. But if you think about the, you know, the 150 years of, 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 black colleges, first, it's 150 years. So we're covering 150 years in 90 minutes. But two, you know, you could, you could, Grab and pick so many different stories that would be uh, uh, illustrative of, of, of what happened. So, you know, we just had to, we had to figure out uh, you know which stories would work and, and try to leave the audience with a sense of what uh, black colleges have been um, and maybe where they're going.
3: Hey, Mr. Nelson, now, this is Donovan from North Carolina A&T. Um, in your film, you highlighted a little bit about Booker T. Washington. I just wanted to ask you, um, what do you think of Booker T. Washington, and what was your vision, the way you portrayed him? And secondarily, has anyone been offended, especially down at Tuskegee? Has anyone felt like you portrayed Booker T. unfairly?
4: Um let me answer that question. First, um, you know, a lot of times when we have screenings, um, we've had and we've had tons of them. Uh, you know, uh we do have a discussion about Booker T. Um, but there there's no kind of uh, you know, loud verbal uh, objection to the way he was portrayed. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I felt that I wanted to to talk about Booker T was that You know, by the end, by the end of the 19th century, turn of the 20th century, Booker T. Washington was probably the most powerful and the most famous black man in the United States. And he, he rose to that position as a college president. So that in and of itself says something, you know, how important at that point education was coming out of the time of enslavement, that this college president is the most powerful man in the United States. And I, and I think what we say in the film is that, you know, is that there's nothing wrong with with teaching industrial education, which was what he preached. So industrial education is, is you know, bricklaying, carpentry, you know, skilled manual labor. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happened was um, the southern white planters and the northern industrialists, poured money into booker t washington and he became so so powerful that he was saying that this is the only way this (laughs) is the only way to educate black people and i think that is very very dangerous and so we wanted to highlight that you know that that education was going that way in in some ways you know and and it was wb du bois and others who rose up and said wait a minute wait a minute there's another way for african americans to be educated and and let's talk about that
2: So, uh, I'm sure that, you know, you, there is, you interviewed hundreds of people, um, for your uh, documentary, but is there, uh, any story in particular that was the most difficult to let go?
1: Um,
4: you know, it, it, I, I, I'm, I'm really weird about that because like, you know, once I let it go, I kind of let it go. So I, Uh I don't really even, you know, I don't think about that a lot because. You know, I, I, I feel very, uh, confident in the film that we made. Um, and I truthfully, you know, I truthfully don't think about, oh, you know, this story or that story we should have, we should have included. Um, but, you know, there, there are a bunch of stories that, that, that we, that we had, were, kind of, um, uh, done interviews for and cut, but that just, you know, didn't work as well as we wanted them to. And we ended up, uh, taking them out of the film.
0: Mm. Uh, in, in a couple months, uh, The Undefeated is going to be doing a pretty uh, ambitious project about the future of HBCUs. And I, I wanted to ask you about that because um, you were so immersed in this project, and you still are, and you've actually gone to campuses, and I know you've thought about this a lot. What do you think the future uh, of HBCUs is? Is, is? is there still a role for for uh, for HBCUs at a time when most black college students are going to um, what we call PW, predominantly white institutions. What do you feel after doing all this, this, this great work? Uh, is there still a need for HBCUs and what do you think the future is, is headed?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a need for HBCUs. I think until racism and race, racialism ends in this country, then we need HBCUs until you know the education system is, is uh, an even playing field up until college. You know in, in you know grade school, junior high, high schools. Until those things are equal, we still need HBCUs. Um, I think HBCUs serve an incredible purpose. They still um, graduate a huge, outsized number of of judges and doctors and lawyers and and, and, and dentists then, you know, uh th- their numbers, so the- they still serve a-, a real function. But I think, you know, in traveling around to HBCUs, one thing I want to say before I go any further, in traveling around to HBCUs, one thing I've seen, you know, a lot of times people talk about HBCUs and if you haven't gone to one or been on one, you know, it's like you think that these are like, you know. Wooden huts, you know, you know, hammered together by the students and stuff like that. But like HBCUs are huge, big, you know, viable, wonderful institutions. You know, I taught at Morgan State from 2015, 2016. I mean, Morgan State has that new library with the glass front yep. and it's just, you know, beautiful. And, you know, we're, yeah, it's beautiful. We were down at FAMU, which is huge. You know, it's just a huge, beautiful, I mean, you know, on, I could go on and on and on. So, you know, these are, hu- these are not like little hammered together institutions. These are major institutions. So, um, you know, I just, I just think that that's, that's really important. But I think, you know, that, that um, in, until we, until we have an equal society, you know, young people, young African American people need this safe intellectual space that HBCUs provide. And I think that's really important. And, and, you know, HBCUs, it's, it's, it's not, a coincidence that brown versus board of ed was launched at hbcus it's not a coincidence that the the sit-in movement that free the freedom rides the freedom summer were all launched at hbcus and i think you know in in this time that we're in now we need hbcus more than ever so the question isn't is not you know do we need them the question is we need we need them more than we than we ever did um i also just want to say if, if i could you know we had a chance uh to uh, do what's called a New York Times OpDoc and you just go to New York you just you know, go on your computer go to New York Times OpDoc O-P-D-O-C and we did a piece uh, It's like 10 minutes long it's called Uh Black Colleges in the Age of Trump and it talks about kind of what's happened over the last year where, you know, HBC, my my contention is that HBCUs have been in the news more this last year than they have been in the previous 20 years. You know, from Talladega, uh, you know, uh, uh, playing at, at their marching band, playing at, at uh, Trump's inauguration to, you know, the president's visiting Trump to uh, Betsy DeVos uh, saying that they were the first school choice, et cetera, et cetera. So we try to explain some of that, you know, because I think that, HBCU administrations a lot of times are are put between a rock and a hard right. place, you know. I mean they need the federal government for money. Yeah. They need that money. It would be they would they would not be doing their duty if they said, you know, no, I'm not I'm not gonna deal with Trump. Right. But but Trump is so despised by the black community that, you know, um and rightly so that, you know, it it it, it they really are between a rock and a hard place right, sometimes. Right.
0: Hey, hey, Stanley. I I know you got to run, but you got a plane to catch. You're going to be in DC, right? Next is it Monday?
4: Yeah, we're we're in DC Monday. We're at the uh, at the uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture. Uh, next Monday with the film, and then we're at the DuSable in Chicago on the 17th, and then it airs on the 19th. So you know, it's been a long run to to get this thing, you know, uh, on the air and, and publicize it. But uh we got a few more stops, and then you know, I just want people to to, to tune in and tell people and tell your friends. You know, February 19th, uh, hold hold a viewing party because it's a celebration. You know, the film this film is a real celebration of of, of black colleges and universities. One thing we tried to do was have at least a picture of every single, of every single college and university in the school. At least one picture. Um, and we came pretty close.
0: <laughs> is there any p- paraphernalia we could go online and buy? Is there like a Tell the We Are Rising sweatshirt, a t-shirt, a cap, or a pen, a pencils?
4: Yeah, we got, we got, we got t-shirts and stuff. Uh, if if you, our, our website is hbcu hbcurising.com, hbcu com, and we have, uh, t-shirts, uh, and stuff that, um, you know, I guess we're going to sell. All right. We've been giving them away. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, of course, we, you know, we need money, man. Hey, hey Stanley, listen, our, our guest has been uh, just the great filmmaker, Stanley Nelson. He's um, just done incredible, incredible body of work over the years, and this is yet uh, another another uh, piece. Great work, Stanley, and thank you so much for uh, for coming in the studio and being a guest. I really appreciate it.
4: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you all.
0: Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as all day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at Sports and Entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.